G'day and welcome to Occupied. My name's Brock Cook and this is your fortnightly podcast for all things occupation and occupational therapy. Today I want to have a very beginner look at starting to explore some of the issues around using values in our interventions. Sitting outside of the uni campus, just chilling in the shade, enjoying a bit of nature on my break. And I've been thinking all morning about tying a few ideas together, mainly ideas around people's value systems and how that contributes to motivation and how that motivation contributes to occupational engagement. And I've got a few theories that I've used operationally in practice, uh, mainly uh, one theory called Motivation to Create Change, which was developed by a friend of mine uh, locally up here, uh, which tied together a lot of theories from fields like psychology and made it a much more usable conceptualization of motivation that you could explain to people that you work with, and it was just really easily understood. But I decided to have a look at some other conceptualizations around how this values, occupation, motivation thing all ties together. So I want to have a look at value systems first. So a basic conceptualization that I use is that people have occupational needs and these occupational needs are generally shaped by their value systems. As we know from human development, once you sort of get to the early 20s, early to mid 20s, your value system is generally then sort of cemented in for the rest of your life. Your core values are worked out. And up until that point, they're quite fluid and they can change as you learn and you adapt and you make more social connections and learn about the world. Thinking about it like that, if your value systems are linked to occupational needs that you might have, then those occupational needs, again, once you sort of hit that sort of mid-twenties age are going to be fairly consistent through the rest of your life. We then, as human beings, fill those needs with certain occupations. The occupations themselves can change throughout our lifespan. We can want more of certain occupation, types of occupations at different ages. But the need to fill it with something is going to be fairly consistent. Through this basic conceptualization, I can then look at things like occupational disruption. In that, I can look at it a little more targeted than just a disruption in the occupations, but more a disruption in the fulfillment of an occupational need. So, say through illness or injury, if a person's unable to get back into a certain occupation... If I'm able to identify what need that occupation is filling, which we do through having getting to know the person and exploring that with them, looking at the meaning behind said occupation, it gives me a rough idea of what kinds of things we might be able to start exploring to either adapt the 
person environment occupation to be able to get them back into it so they're able to fill that need again or what kinds of occupations should we be exploring that might fill that need new occupations things they haven't done before things they may not have even considered before and i use that example for say drug use we know through rebecca twinley's work uh, and just occupational science in general that even though drug use is not a good thing it's still an occupation for someone they're actively engaged in it uh, it has meaning it has purpose uh, it's distinctly human for the most part it's got swooped by a bird so what we need to do is so that so that occupation is filling some sort of occupational need for that particular person now i've worked with people who use illicit substances purely for to fulfill a social need they don't have social skills enough to make friends outside of that subculture so they use in order to stay relevant and keep in touch with the people that they do know now in order to change our behavior you can't just take it away you can't just quit cold turkey because essentially what you create then is an unmet occupational need what you need to do instead is one explore what occupational needs said occupation is filling for that person and it's important not to assume because like i said an occupation can fill a very different need from one person to the next or even for the same person at different points in time so it's important to explore what exactly, what occupational need that occupation might be fulfilling for that person. Then you have the opportunity to then explore alternative occupations, hopefully more in the case of drugs, hopefully more health fulfilling occupations that will also fulfill that need. If you think about it in the context of say someone quitting smoking, the statistics for quitting smoking cold turkey are horrendously in favor of it not working. Whereas with replacement and gradual behavioral change, so generally you'll replace cigarettes with say uh, nicotine gum or nicotine patches or both if you're doing it correctly. And then gradually you want to create a behavior change in which that's eventually replaced by some sort of healthy behavior i know people that have quit quite effectively utilizing carrot sticks for the oral fixation of smoking and nicotine patches for the chemical uh, addiction it's about replacing they're still then meeting a need it's an oral fixation need for some people and then the chemical need needs to be filled as a side you're replacing an occupation to make sure that that need doesn't go unmet when occupational needs go unmet is when you start seeing people who get down their well-being is affected and they're they're just not happy with where they are at that point in time so back to that's the basic concept that i operate under is how i see occupation fitting into this grand scheme of motivation and and need so in having a look at there's a at, at needs and values themselves we want to have a look at values for starters because that's kind of like the very i guess grassroots point at which this all either works or doesn't work so if you look up personal needs 
core values, that kind of thing. There's going to be a thousand uh, different theories that come up, most of them from psychological field. But what you will find is that a lot of the models share some very similar things. One of the things that I've noticed in a lot of the models that I've had a look at and used is that quite often they're in the form of a wheel. One thing that seems to be fairly consistent across a lot of different models is that values have antagonists. So there are opposing values that will pull against each other. If you've ever been forced to into a situation where you need to make a decision and you've got toing and froing between two different options and you can't quite decide, that's generally because the two options are appealing to two opposing values that you might hold. If it was all in favor of one value, the other option wasn't to do with anything that you actually hold close, then the decision would be very easy. One of these theories that I was having a look at recently is called the Theory of Basic Human Values. It was developed by Schwartz quite a while ago, I think. But what they attempted to do is to come up with a measure of universal values that are recognised through all major cultures. Now, their definition of, of uh, universal values are essentially that. They're values that, no matter what culture, sex, age, etc., they are commonly seen or in all or majority of uh, people. From that, they came, or he, they came up with a theory that arranges 10 values in a circular structure. So of opposing values. These 10 universal values are then organized into four higher order groups. So each of the 10 values has a central goal that is under, as its underlying motivator. So one of the, the central goals is openness to change. And two of the values under that are self-direction and stimulation. Self-enhancement is another central goal, and underneath that is hedonism, which is uh, the, the pleasure or sensuous gratification of oneself. So looking out for yourself and doing things that you want to do. Achievement personal success through demonstrating competence uh, according to social standards power social status and prestige control or dominance over people and resources uh, the next goal is conservation and under that comes security conformity and tradition and the last of the four goals is self-transcendence and the the values that come under that are benevolence which is preserving and enhancing the welfare of those with whom has frequent personal encounters, and universalism, which is understanding, appreciation, tolerance, and protection for the welfare of others and for nature. The interesting thing is, I can almost guarantee, even as I was looking over this and reading that, that there are certain things that straight away appeal or grab you as an individual. There are certain things that I would have just said that you would have really clicked on and certain things you would have went, yeah, okay, yep, but not really related to. So, for example, stimulation and achievement definitely grabbed me, whereas power, conformity and tradition, yes, I recognise that I've seen them in some people and I can recognize them in some people that I know and some people that I work with, but they don't necessarily have the same allure to myself. 
So in addition to identifying these 10 basic sort of values, the theory also explains how these 10 values are interconnected and that they influence each other. So one thing when you, if you were to look at this, and I'll put a link up, I'll put an image up of the actual circular model, but it's important that even though it's drawn as sort of a circle and each uh, value is kind of like a wedge in the circle, the borders are a little bit fluid. So each of the ones, each of the values sort of bleeds into the next one and they can interact and they, they work together in some cases. So for example, in the model, power and achievement find themselves next to each other. When combined... The, you more if someone is um, identifies with these two goals, you'll find that they're looking for social superiority and esteem, achievement and hedonism, often often identified together in a, in a person, and that's where they might that particular person might find some self-centered satisfaction. So it's important to be able to look at these values and how they interact together, and not just individually. Now, I'm not going to go into too much more detail around that particular model. The point I wanted to make was there are quite a few models that show values and that they all often find a very similar shape, a similar model. They work very similar to each other. How does this affect OT? Well, in my experience, what you're going to find is that these values are directly shaping what a person's occupational needs might be. So, if we were to use this particular model for example, if we identify that this person has self-direction as one of their core values, a strong core value for them, one of their occupational needs might be for independent projects. So if you're working with this person, this is the kind of person that you really want to make sure that you're supporting them to 100% be in control of doing individual work. This is the kind of person that won't like being dependent, won't like having support services, won't like having to rely on other people. Rather than just blanket looking at a, a person's situation and going, yep, you could deal with, or you could do with uh, some support services, even in the short term, blah, 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 blah. This will give us a better idea. Getting to know a person on this level will give us a better idea on the kinds of things that they might value a little bit more. It might be that a second option would be modifying the occupation and modifying the environment it might be more expensive it might be a lot harder but if you really know the person's core values well that might be the option that they're going to relate to and therefore get the most out of compared to putting in support and then grading them back into it when it comes to looking at things like client-centered care this to me is the epitome of what we can be aiming for as clinical therapists Helping a person explore what they truly value in life. Because this is something, I'll be honest, this is something that 99% of the people that you work with will never have even considered. If I went up to any of you and said, what are your core values? Most of you would probably look at me completely blank. It's a difficult conversation to have with oneself. It's a difficult concept just to rattle around in your head. No arguments here. It's not something that just flows off the tongue. There are a whole range of different ways you can do this. 
And one of the ways, and I might have to go into it in another podcast, that I do it is through occupational interviewing. Because the assumption that your occupational needs are constructed by your value system and the assumption that human beings will generally be drawn to live as close to their values as possible means that if I'm able to look at your occupations, what occupations you've done over time, over your lifespan, so take a bit of an occupational history, I can then piece together and roughly explore what possible occupational needs you may have been filling over your lifetime by looking at the occupations that you've done. Then, based on that, we can start roughly exploring what, we, what possible values that person may hold based on what we think their occupational needs may have been based on what occupations they've previously been doing. So we kind of work backwards, but under the assumption that of how those different concepts interact and how they work together, it's always proven to be a very effective method of working with people in my clinical experience. But we might go into that in more detail in another podcast because I don't want to drag this one out for days. But it's something I'm very passionate about. Hopefully people can hear that. And it's something that I believe isn't covered as much in occupational therapy today. I I strongly believe that occupational science should really be having a look at values and occupational needs more than it may have already just to wrap things up as usual i'm more than open to feedback i know after i did uh the podcast about smart goals i got a ton of feedback lots of support and a lot of people put uh letting me know about other methods um, that they've used for goal setting which is fantastic and i i've had a look at quite a few of them and some of them are, are really amazing some of them i believe you could utilize uh really really well with occupational based practice And it's something I may do a follow-up podcast in time once I've had a chance to have a better look and maybe even implement a few of these different methods. So as today, today we're just having a look at some values type ideas and how that concept, that really loose basic concept fits with occupational therapy, in my opinion. So yeah, if you have any other uh, values-based information that you use in OT or that you know of, any research that you know of uh, within OT that goes into looking into the use of values and value systems, feel free, shoot me a tweet, shoot me an email. All my contact details are on my website, brockcook.com. Other than that, thank you very much for your support. It, it's overwhelmingly humbling uh, seeing how many people are contacting me, sending me emails of support, um, even emails with information that they think I've missed. It's fantastic just to see the OT community really getting behind this this podcast, and, I, and I'm eternally grateful. So thank you very much, guys, and I will talk to you soon. Bye.